Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, America, and the rest of the world. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if just the United States went into the next year and the rest of the world just sat in 2023? It happens to Australia every year. I know, right? God bless the Aussies. They're the first ones through. Hey. Well, well first... unless you count China. Really, is China? Who? who yeah, what person? What group of people are the first into the new year? It's. I think it depends on when you start measuring, right? Wow. You know, I thought about that this week. Like, time is the one element that is practiced by the same by everyone on the planet. But then I thought about the indigenous people of New Zealand. And their idea of dream time. And I was like, oh, not even time. And it's funny, Greg and I are in this really, really kind of interesting contemplation as we go into our discussion of what it was like to be with Mr. Tom Cahew. I mean, oh my goodness, what an amazing, amazing discussion we had. And you can tell we've just come out of that interview and the, the level of expansive thinking that's going on is amazing so um get ready to have an interesting exploration for your eardrums and there's it's pleasantly surprising and somewhat challenging and reality bending all at the same time two outlaws on the lamb taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. And now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. And we're live with another episode, our first episode of season four with special guest, Tom C. here with the Moped Outlaws. Welcome, Tom. You are a multifaceted individual. It's going to be so much fun <laughs> to talk to you. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, feel free to challenge me. And uh, I'm excited. And thank you for having me on. Um, I've viewed a couple of your episodes prior to this. And I'm really excited to be actually on with both of you. So thank you for the opportunity. Man, our pleasure. <laughs> All right. So how many times have you seen and experienced uh, interaction with aliens? Okay, so um, in terms of uh, our UFO, you know, uh, or my UFO, how how generally people describe it, um, not too often compared to a paranormal, but a UFO. I guess I can take you back to my 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 first origin story. I guess what what got me into all of this. I was a young child. It's um, you know, uh, I guess before I get into, it, I'll preface it by saying you know, UFOs, aliens. Um, uh, paranormal experiences, even cryptids, Bigfoot, right? Um, I was in a, uh, a household that talked about it regularly. You know, it wasn't shunned. It wasn't, you know, uh, that's crazy or anything like that. It was always talked about. We were an X-Files family. We were the Unsolved Mysteries family. You know, that, that's what was on TV when we were growing up. So 
fast forward to I was about eight or nine years old and we're taking a family trip down to uh, Florida and I live right outside of Philadelphia. So, you know, um, with two kids, uh, they didn't feel like flying. So we drove, you know, I-95 the entire way all the way down to um, to where was going to be the golf side right around central um, Florida, the golf side, Punta Gorda, Fort Myers area. So we're everything's fine. Nothing of note. We get to about South Carolina, and um, what I remember vividly about this is cars are pulled over. We were not the first one, but there's cars, like, pulled over uh, on the side of the median, or, I mean, on the side of the road um, on the southbound lane. And we're just looking, what are these people doing? And and people were out of their car. They got out of their car. They were looking up at the sky. So um, my grandmother, who was in the car, was on that side of the the vehicle looked out and said, Oh my God, pull over. What is that in the sky? So they found a space a little bit further up, pulled over and looked and I got out of the car. Everybody, this is I-95, mind you, this is the interstate, you know, one of the biggest ones of of the country. We get out, you know, with an eight and a, or eight or nine and then a five or six year old, my brother, you know, they get outside the road, they're looking up and this thing was, it was not high. It was not like, you know, airplane height or anything like that. I would say maybe, a thousand feet, two thousand feet. It wasn't high at all. I could make out, you know, a, a cigar-shaped cylinder-type object, completely illuminated. I mean, completely illuminated. No, like, like it basically was a cigar light in the sky. No gray parts, no black part, no, no, nothing like that. Right. So, what stuck out to me, and honestly scared me, you know, I'll be honest, maybe I thought it scared me was. I'm looking at strangers, adults who are strangers to the right of me, to the left of me, looking up like, I don't know what that is. My own family is like, oh, they're they're almost shocked. You know what I mean? Like, what is this? So as a child, you know, I'm in the situation almost like if you feel an airplane rattle and you look to the uh, you look to the um, the flight don't. attendants. And, right, yeah, right, right. And, and you look to the flight attendants and if they're not running back to their seat, then everything's fine. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was almost like that where the people I'm looking to, they're 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 shocked. You know what I mean? They're, they're scared. They're looking at this thing. Like, I don't know what, right. You know, we weren't there for long. It was only maybe five or 10 minutes, but the police were, they had their speakerphone and they're saying, get back in your car. You know, we will, you know, we will cite you get back in your car. You can't be on the side of the road because people threw, you know, they, they didn't care about safety. They're just looking out, you know, they got out of their cars on the side of 95 looking at this object. But so after that, that always stuck with me. It's, that is the story that's repeated. We just had, you know, the holidays not too long ago. When we have holiday meetups, you know, all families have those stories. They keep bringing up every time you hang out, you know, every time you meet. This was ours. So it was it definitely sparked my interest into what these UFOs were, because honestly, I, I can describe, you know, it sounds like everybody else, you know, something everybody else has seen. Right. Like a completely illuminated cigar shaped object. I mean, a cliche of cliches when you talk about, um, you know, UFOs. However, to me, and what made it paranormal to me and what made it true to me was the feeling I got when I looked at it. It's almost like intuitively soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, that I knew what I was looking at did not have, I did not have an answer for it. And I don't think, you know, it was just a feeling of, I don't want to say like a bad feeling or like despair or anything like that. It was just. I'm looking at something that I don't know what it is. And I know, you know, there's all types of military craft, but 
you know, it's a feeling that I never got when looking at other objects in the sky. So in terms of UFOs and, and aliens, that is my um, origin story there. That was your direct experience. What was that? That was your direct experience. That was my, absolutely. That was my direct experience. What year was this, Tom? 1995. 1995. And have you had any subsequent um, observations that were direct on your, on your part? Well, not so much on, on my part directly, but as I got older and now recently um, I have joined MUFON in, you know, as a, as a member or, you know, constituent basically of, my area in, in outside of Philadelphia. So I have access to a database um, from MUFON where people have, have called up, you know, this, this is like the second level sightings where, Oh, it, but before you stop. go there, could you just sure. explain what MUFON means? Oh, okay. So yeah. MUFON is the mutual UFO network. So M U F O N mutual UFO network. And it's and a public space, right? Absolutely. You know, you can subscribe to it. You can, you know, they have content, they have magazines, you know, things like that. But uh, for me, the real value is getting access to their database and, you know, starting with level two. And I'm going to say level two, there is no specific level two, but to me, like level one is, oh, that's weird in the sky. And that's that, you know what I mean? You end of it, but the level twos and up are, I really don't know what that is. And I have to call somebody about this, you know, so whether they called their local, you know, uh, military police, whatever, to say, hey, can you check the radars? There's something above me, you know. And now a lot of that we can do ourselves with flight trackers and things and see what's in our airspace, you know, over our head. But um, these are the ones that are designated for um, investigators to, you know, move on paid investigators to go out and check on what these uh, sort of sightings are. And, you know, when you have access to that database, you can just, hey, I want to see what happened in the last 30 days around me, <laughs> you know, things like that. So with that kind of depth of interest, did you do any research into the 95 sighting when you were nine to see if there you could see military action in the area or any explanation? Yes, I, I have gone back to that time because it still sticks out to me. And as the internet and technology develops, you know, there, you know, it's always good to keep going back and checking out that same time, you know, uh, what isn't, what's there today might not be what's there tomorrow or a year from now or whatever the time. So it's always good to go back and check out on anything, not just this, but yes, I have been going back and trying to look into what's going on, you know, or what was going on, what could be a possible solution. You know, police are driving up and down saying, it's just a blimp, get back in your car, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a scientist, but that—that that was, you know, uh, you know, it's not a blimp. Okay, if it's a blimp, then why is it completely illuminated? You know what I mean? Last time I checked, if you light, you know, hydrogen in the in the blimp, it's going to blow up, right? <laughs> so, you know, just using basic, you know, principles there. There's no way light could be emitting from that, you know. So, right did there. your family get back in the car and leave before that object left the airspace? Yeah. Yeah. We, we got back, you know, the police started, you know, driving up and down, telling us to get back in their vehicles or our vehicle or everybody getting back in their vehicles. Right. And we, we did, we're not troublemakers, I guess. So, right. you know, uh, I'm there with my, uh, my mother and my grandmother, my father didn't go. So we were just in that car, um, go, you know, we got back and we started driving. And I remember, um, the whole rest of the way, man, they were talking about it. We talk about it, but what's interesting is even years later, you know, going almost 30 years later, we, um, 
we still have the same story. You know, it imprinted that much on us that, you know, any story really variables change, you know, details change, things like that. But, but for us, you know, it's still incredible that I can close my eyes and I can see the evening sky, you know, not completely dark, but, but dark, you know what I mean? And, and, um, seeing that object in the sky. So that has definitely, um, you know, that was my origin story. That's what kicked it off for me. And, and looking back on it, I have not found anything that I can, you know, you know, convince me that this is what it was. Um, but that's, that's as of today. You know what I mean? I, I could say I'd come back on here a year from now and found something, you know what I mean? That it's not to say forever, but in terms of, um, military, there was nothing military in the sky. That's something I can check. Um, I can, you know, I can't find flight patterns and flight paths from back all the way back then. I just don't think it was, you know, chartable on the internet at that time. But if it ever becomes available, I'm always interested to keep looking and find out because this leads me into a little, you know, this little point here is as a paranormal investigator, as, as, you know, somebody who believes in, in this sort of thing, uh, I'm going to tell you here and be very honest in, in, in my demographic, it's probably controversial, but, I don't believe everybody. I don't. I, I don't believe everybody I hear. And and we have this stigma basically as, as somebody who believes that we're we, you know, we believe everything. And, and that's just simply not true. We have to be more skeptical than the skeptics. You know, because there are people that will lie, you know, use enhancements, whether it's AI or, or computer enhancements, you know, technology to to fake things. We have to be more of a skeptic than the skeptics just to give ourselves credibility, because ultimately, as somebody in, in the field, we're always looking to disprove first, just because we don't want anyone else to, you know, come in on top of us and, and, and be that and say, see, these guys don't know what they're talking about, this, things like that. So it's very important to a lot of the members that I talk to, engage with, that, you know, we kind of say no first, almost, you know, we say no first. So I want to so, ask you a question. Sure. Um, that's what is the resultant shift in your worldview? What, what did you make this mean? How do you see your life and your philosophy and spirituality in relationship to having a worldview or a, or a universe view that includes this paradigm? That's a very good question, Mark. I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I often have been asking myself, that I was born, you know, Catholic. I was born, I, I did the CCD, I did the confirmations, you know, all of that kind of stuff coming up. Family is, you know, one side is completely Italian, the other side is Hispanic. So very Catholic, <laughs> you know what I mean? Very, very Catholic. So I've often been asking myself in terms of my own relationship and ebbs and flows in relationship, you know, with, you know, you know, my God or higher power religion, you know, I, I kind of skewed away from the, the, organized religion aspect of, of everything just because, you know, well, it's, it's a worldview. The world taints, you know, taints you and you see bad things going on in the, in, in certain churches. And I'm not to dive into all that, but it has, um, you know, had me realize that maybe I should take my faith into my own hands and not blindly follow a pattern, you know, that, that, that a certain organized religion is, is, is trying to set you on. With that said, um, I don't, or I believe that, you know, both of these paradigms, both of these thoughts, ways of living, whatever you want to call it, I believe both of them can exist on the same plane. We have numerous texts, pictures, you know, drawings of 
biblical times and even before then of aircraft, you know what I mean? Of things of that nature, you know, hieroglyphics, even going back to there. It's not, you know, when you, if you were to take that and let's say, you know, put on our tinfoil hats and we'll say, this is how religion started. This is how the earth started. If you were to believe that aspect of it, which is an alien race came here, hybridized with, you know, um, whichever, at, at the evolutionary state of whatever man was at that point to create us, right? To, to jumpstart us into our form now. If we were to take that on and to believe that uh, somebody came from the heavens, somebody gave life, somebody gave you a set of rules to follow, and somebody told you how to live life. Now, I'm, now that is a very thousand, ten thousand foot view of everything, but I believe that, you know, let me put it this way too. If you went to a party and something crazy happened and you're there with five people and, and Mikey got drunk and he fell off the table dancing and fell into the pool. Um, the next day, a lot of people are going to have the same story, but we're talking tens, you know, thousands of years over time. I believe when you were at that event, those stories are going to dissipate and become pretty far away from one another. So, if that was the case in terms of religion where something happened in that game, it could potentially explain different religious uh, branches and how they fall off of there. Um, well, I'm with, less with interested in the macro impact and I'm more actually asking you about your own personal experience. Like what's your imagination of the world of possibilities? What does it mean about the universe that these things are real for you? Okay. So, I've, I have to ask myself whether these are even a extraterrestrial or from another planet and not interdimensional, meaning they're living here on Earth and it's a more of a scientific approach to, the, to a UFO compared to uh, another planet. So, in, in my personal view, I do I don't believe there is a you know a planet where a lot of these things come from. I believe these are interdimensional beings where we are just viewing through a window into another plane of existence compared to oh they came from you know saturn and 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 our pop you know are showing up and checking up on us i i genuinely believe in in interdimensional travel where you know they either came here from another plane that we can't get to you know and essentially they can go back this way but we can't go that way you know that sort of thing we're on a lower spectrum of the plane than they are um so when i believe that then i can also believe in the concepts of religion and things like that, because these things are, you know, alive in their realm, independent of, no, you know, and we're independent of knowing them. They can come here and view us. They could be your angels. They could be your, you know, um, deities. They could be your God because they can impact you in your life that you can't do, do to them. So uh, for me, I did have to look in, and doing my research, get off of the idea of another planet another civilization, things like that, and move to, Heaven might be here on Earth on another plane. Hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point of view. I I kind of resonate with that myself. Um, oh, I have some more questions, but I don't want to hog the questions. Greg, do you have some a burning question? Well, you alluded at the beginning of this that you have paranormal experiences beyond unidentified flying objects. Yes. So. I, and now you're just talking about sort of quantum theories of reality. <laughs> and so you have paranormal experiences with the spirit world, for lack of a better yeah. term. Yeah, absolutely. I have had them and I don't consider myself like a medium or an empath or 
or psychic or anything like that. It's just, I have unexplained paranormal um, experiences that have happened to me and, and, you know, uh, more so when I was a child, but you kind of find that in this realm that as you get older, those things stop, you know what I mean? They slow down. But anyway, as a child, you know, um, I've had human experiences, but I've also had non-human experiences involving animals. So, So my first one was actually an animal paranormal story where uh, I'm at my dad's house. You know, my parents are separated, but, you know, everything was good. I'm at my dad's house. I'm in the bedroom watching TV. You know, he had the living room TV. It was a rancher, so pretty much just the hallway, then your living room and, you know, your kitchen on the one end, and then the bedrooms are on the other end. So I'm laying down. The door to the hallway is open. I'm watching TV. I take a look out of the door, um, and, you know, I, I see a, a cat. And we had cats there. It was no problem. So I was excited, you know, I'm like 10 years old or so. I want to play with the cat, right? So I go out and by the time I got to the door, the cat had like ran. Now our hallway was fairly long. It would have to be really, really fast to get around the corner. You know what I mean? So, so that was paranormal in and of itself. But, you know, as I get out, I walk up and my, I go to my dad and I'm like, oh, you let the cats out of the basement. So he locks them in the basement, you know, um, or he put kept them down in the basement for a long time. And he said, no, I didn't let any, any cat out. Completely blew my mind. You know, what do you mean you didn't let the cat out? I just saw it right here. So, he's, so I had to believe it for myself. I go to the basement. It's locked. I unlock it. I go down. I get to the bottom or almost to the bottom of the stairs, but I can't because there's water all in the basement. There was a huge storm. The cats are in the one corner, the only dry corner of that. And as water was flooding from the seeping crack in the, in the wall basement. So we grabbed and we brought him upstairs and that's something that stuck out to me. Like what would have happened if I didn't come out at that time? When I say they were only in only corner, I, I mean it, they were, it was probably a two by two area uh, that did not have water or at least the water wasn't enough to raise up over them. So we got him out of there, you know, it was a huge problem obviously with homeowners insurance, but um, you know, we were, I, that was the first time I ever believe I saw that in that paranormal sighting because how, did I see something that couldn't have possibly gotten there or you know, so that? Do you think it was a, uh, one of the cat spirits projecting out to rescue, or do you think it was another spirit rescuing the cats? Oh, okay. So it was definitely, to me, it was definitely a projection. Um, the cat that I saw was the cat in, uh, it, it, it was our cat. It wasn't like a foreign one. It wasn't anything weird like that. Um, it was a, it was one of our cats. And I do believe in that projection. Um, I, I've known people who claim, claim, you know, cause uh, we have to be a skeptic. So who claim that they can actually project or, or move their consciousness out of their body into our physical space. Some believe it's a form of meditation that they can achieve that. Some believe it is paranormal. I, I don't know. I haven't done it. I can't do it. I can't really speak on that, but no, I definitely believe in what that was, was a projection you know, of, of fear, you know, it, it was scared enough that it projected that it needed help. Um, my father certainly wasn't going to let it out of the basement. He just wanted to, you know, he didn't want the cats. It was, it was the right. kids, the cat, you know, so right. it certainly wasn't him. So it put itself where I was and left and knew I could, I, I would then follow it. As you talk about this idea of projection, it reminds me of this recent, phenomena that's been released as documentation um, of remote viewing. 
Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if you're familiar with that idea yes, and whether you see the intersection there with astral travel or interdimensional travel. Absolutely. Great question, because um, remote viewing has gotten a lot of, um, I guess, publicity ever since the government started trying to, you know, weaponize soldiers and more of an energy way rather than strapping them up with guns and things like that. Remote viewing started right, you know, and they started taking it seriously around Vietnam in that in that era with our super soldiers. Now, when we think of super soldiers, they want you to think like muscle up like Arnold, you know what I mean? And guns and all that kind of stuff. But what they were training them to do was rely on the energies of the forest, have the forest dictate to you what's in there. So in terms of remote viewing, these soldiers would, you know, they would take off their shoes because that was a big part of it. They needed to have their feet on the ground and they took off their feet or the shoes. They would be in the ground and they would close their eyes and they would let the energy of the forest tell them what doesn't belong in the forest. And they would accurately pick out where snipers were, where soldiers were, where things like that, you know, um, were in term and using that. Now they did a, they did a heck of a lot of LSC to get them to do this. And they did a lot of testing with mushrooms to, to try to find something. So the, the data can be skewed if you're looking at it arbitrarily from that. But in, in terms of uh, remote viewing, um, uh, other Ever since they started doing that, there's, it's been coming into the the more popular world, right, a little bit at a time with um, looking for downed craft in the military, you know, with, you know, trying to get retrieval of some kind of good equipment there. Um, the inter, the astral projection and the astral it, is almost a form of meditation where, um, you know, and, and I can just give you the the steps to do it. I I've never done it, but uh, I don't know if I am able to, but they want you just to completely lie down, you know, which is different from another form of meditation because most of them want you to sit up. If you lay down, you probably fall asleep. Right. So this one's a little bit different where they want you to lay down. They want you to align and, you know, feel every part of your body. So flex your left foot, unflex it, flex your right foot, unflex, you know, things like that, lay completely still while doing it. And they want you to imagine a rope that's coming down in front of your third eye while you're sleeping. And when that rope comes down, they want you to leave your body through that rope, reach out and grab it. And that's a trick to help people remote view, get to where they need to go, get to wherever they need to be to view things. And that's the a way to get yourself out of your body. Now, I've tried it. I've never been able to do it. I have heard people who have been able to do it, um, you know, and, and take that for what it's worth, because that's their experience. It's not mine. So I can't tell you, you know what it is, but if certain people are able to align their consciousness to leave their body, I completely think it's plausible that remote viewing programs and interdimensional travel are possible because once you get out, you are a part of the limitless energetic world. You can travel instantly to get to where it is as long as you have a signature of what it needs to be. So on the, on the front end, they just completely look at if I need to look for a downed uh, B-52 bomber in Russia, you know what I mean? They will have all the information about it, try to get an energy signature and put themselves there. So in light of that sort of philosophical point of view about energetic travel, perception, the travel of our perception, it sort of belies the idea that we would need a vehicle. Right? It sort of contradicts the whole idea behind the UFOs, because if if nature is has a uniformity to it, if there is a kind of principles that exist across the nature and structure of the universe, then aliens that have to move through the process of actually being in a vehicle 
would probably be that doing that because they require the environment that's sustained in the vehicle. And so the net, it's not just about moving the I am spirit piece that, mm-hmm. that, that would move through the ethereal or, or astral. They actually need to move the physical piece. And that would be another layer of transmutation and, you know, reconveyance of physicality mm-hmm. across the interdimensional, you know, membrane for lack of a better term. So question for you, and you can choose to answer this or not. I'm going to ask it. Do you have a relationship and any direct experience with any psychedelics? Me? No. Are you on drugs, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) Not what I'm asking. No. Yeah. Look, no, (laughs) no, um, I, I have not. And you know, I'm, being completely honest with you, I, I, I'm a little bit uh, scared to, to do that um, because what if the things that I'm saying are wrong or right? It's really a problem. You know what I mean? For, for, for me. Were you going to say something, Greg? Well, I have a question. So because you've talked about your spiritual background as a child growing up and now we're here in adults. So have you had experience with entities that we could say are evil, um, a paranormal evil and a paranormal love, like um, divine love? So most or almost all of my experiences have been on the light side because I do take self-preservation into account with the sage, with prayer, with, you know, um, uh, holy water and things like that before I ever go into an investigation, um, saying prayers and things like that, even before we get in and, and our leader of, um, my paranormal society is an empath and has shut investigations down before because he felt that it was a mimic spirit where it's like conveying good energy, but really it's, it's demonic. So, um, I haven't been put in those, you know, luckily I haven't been put in those situations where those, those, um, occurrences could happen, but you, you kind of know, and you kind of feel it, um, in, in, in the everyday, if you walk into a room and you feel the pressures more, right. You feel there's more pressure. You almost feel like I've heard people pushing on your shoulders. Like you feel like your shoulders are slumping a little bit. So you're more lean forward. You feel almost like humidity breathing, you know, where it's like harder to, you know, it's hard to get oxygen in and out. And another one that, that I have felt is, you know, like somebody's kind of just slightly tugging on the back and you feel a little choking around the front. That's when I feel that there is a, a harmful spirit and, and, you know, they, they have to feed and their way of feeding is different than ours. We eat, they need to absorb energy. You know, you, you hear about the countless tales of, oh, I had new batteries in my flashlight and it went off or, you know, my, my cell phone completely died or, or, or things like that. They do feed off of us because we are just a, a massive concentrated ball of energy. You know what I mean? So they do, they do feed off us. You know, when you're going to be attached and a, a lot of times by simply making yourself aware to the, or making them aware to you that, Hey, I know what you're doing. A lot of times that solves and, and would fix everything, you know, and these are just basically attachments, not like possession or anything like that. That involves a lot more, you know, in terms of wearing you down physically, mentally, and then becoming you and changing your way. Um, there's, there's quite a lot of talk, um, about, you know, how that affects, you know, some people in terms of like mental health and anxiety and things like that. Um, 
you know, I'm not here and I'm not going to sit there and say that it's because of bad spirits. You know what I mean? But one would could make an argument that when your energy is drained and you're mentally fatigued all the time, something could be pulling your essence out of you. It seems like a lot of your reality is very ethereal. And mm-hmm. so how do you ground yourself to pay the electric bill and those kind of very grounded practices of day-to-day life? Well, I work in IT. So <laughs> I'm an IT, I'm a team manager. Yeah. World. <laughs> yeah. So I have a good, you know, can conveyance of, of what that world is and, and hypotheticals. And let's see if this can work and then putting things together to make it work. Right. Um, there, there is no way I love tech. There is no way to, you know, I, I don't believe we have or the right tools are even invented yet to, measure to to check i know you know about like emf meters or voice recorders or things like that that are typical on a paranormal investigation i just don't know if that's even the right tech to be to for what we're looking at you know what i mean like say you have a thermometer a thermometer is the perfect tool to measure boiling water well say the thermometer wasn't invented yet and but we have a camera you can kind of see that it's boiling but you have no way to tell whether it's 212, 190, you know what I mean? You don't really know. I think we have a lot of near tech for the paranormal, for these type of things. Um, And then we only accentuate what we, you know, what we can get. You know, I don't know if we've made an invention as a human society that benefits anything but us, right? So when you have things, they help us see in the dark because we can't see in the dark, right? They help us get food faster because maybe, you know, not everybody is, very athletic and can, you know, hunt like it was back in the day. We have things to bring water further. That way we can have civilizations further from coastlines. You know what I mean? We, we all have a, these things that are, um, that we're using to aid us. I just don't know if there's a need to try to spend resources, money, time to invent technology that can help us in that ethereal world. Got it. I have a question for you that's sure. about the subject of animism. Do you know what animism is? I am not familiar with that. No. So the basic presumption of animism is that there is life in things that we might consider otherwise inanimate. So okay. hugging a tree, a tree has a spirit or a tree has an, a beingness to it. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that goes all the way through animal, vegetable, minimal, mineral, like, you know, rocks might have some kind of perceptive capacity or that uh, rabbits might have insights that are more um, deep and philosophical than we are able to discern from where we sit. Right. So the question that I have for you is, have you ever thought about animism within the framework of a silicon chip and a server and electrons in the sense of like the idea of the ghost in the machine, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. people talk to their cars and they, you know, and they say, come on, baby, like you can make it right. And have you ever talked to your computer when it was having a problem? You know, have you ever set, looked at a, a big giant, a morass of cat five cables going into a server stack and like spoken to it as if it had an entity to it? 
um, well, first off, yes, absolutely. And I don't know if I can repeat what those words were to the, the <laughs> but it's it's um, a yeah, it's a parental warning show, so you can say whatever the fuck you want. Okay, all right, but yes, absolutely, because you know, I, the way I talk about my computer, you would think I'm, uh, you know, uh, just wanting to hurt something <laughs> that's basically how how that goes but um no I, I do i i do you know believe in that i do believe that um consciousness like energy like you know cannot be created nor destroyed i believe that you know consciousness is all around us in multiple different ways i mean i depending on on who you ask but to me if i if you walk into an abandoned home or you walk into a home with a person that's in it even if you don't see them you know somebody's there you know you you know that there's somebody in that house um that's the aura of the consciousness you know and we're creating you know we're the ones who create you know, these chips, these processors, these things like that. Every part of that design is coming from a human mind, giving human breath, giving human consciousness into it. Now, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not a fool. I'm not going to say every, every bit is, you know, it, it's on its own. It's its own person. But if you impart your consciousness, we impart our consciousness onto our reality around us. We give names to inanimate objects like your car, like, you know, old Betty, you know what I mean? You know, your car that you're driving, you know, your computer, you know, piece of shit. So, you know, you have names that you can give to everything around you. And, you know, animism, you said, yeah, so, animism. Um, I certainly practice that. And it's great because the definition you gave me, I, I haven't heard that before, but I have definitely practiced it by giving, you know, these inanimate objects, real life names, real life energy. And, you know, conceivably with the growth of AI and computers and networks and, and these processors doing trillions of equations a second, um, first of all, say goodbye to your passwords because, you know, it's going to figure out everyone. But also um, it's a matter of time before, you know, independent decision-making you know, that that's the next step. We've been talking about AI and things like that coming down the, the, the pipe. Now we're here with automated answering machines, you know, chat GBT and things like that, that they can answer, they can write, they can direct, you can, you can instruct them, but you still have to give that prompt first, right? <laughs> the next step is not giving that prompt. Are we there already? Who knows? But, you know, uh, I, I'm not the one to say whether the government has, you know, or, or might not be the government because honestly, some of these companies, dictate what the government does anyway so um some of these companies you know when they have these um automated decision-making machines it's pretty soon the consciousness that's the next step and once that happens um look out because how are you going to safeguard I, I don't have an answer for you there so it might be that your computer perceives you as a demonic entity you might want to work on that a little bit <laughs> I, I i definitely do um it sprays holy water at me so so <laughs> I'm wondering with these areas of realms you're in, what are your thoughts about the future of the United States of America as a political entity on this planet? Very good point, because, um, you know, I, I do believe I have to believe in the connection between our leaders and, you know, 
UFOs because I, I do believe that there are people in the know, but not everybody in the know for the simple reason of plausible deniability. You know, if you think the president knows everything, I would say you're nuts because they're not going to tell somebody like that. You know what I mean? That that's way too high risk. Your president now compared to before is doing late night TV shows and you have a 24 hour news cycle. I don't believe they would. I like, I, I believe they keep all of that, keep all of that out. So in terms of us, wait, who's the, they in, in your, you're saying they, who's, my well, they. As it relates to UFOs. It's the J 12. If I understand correctly. Oh, yes. Sure. You could definitely have the J 12, um, uh, CIA, like you know, Jewish um, 12? No, it's not. It does, that does not mean Jewish. Come on. Well, all right. So just to give you a little background, Greg, there is a doc. There's some documents that were leaked in the 60s and 70s that pointed to this idea that in order for the handling of first contact to be managed properly, they couldn't afford to let it be um, powerfully utilized by people who would be out of office in four years. So there's an international commission created called the J 12, which is a coalition of independent non-government organizational people who continue to have the relationship with the off worlders in order Uh, to facilitate that process without it being corrupted by government agenda and is that, that an accurate thing Tom? Theory, right yes that's a very very good way to put it um you're exactly right you know in terms of this political at least with us you have your house with the two-year term you have the senate with the six-year term you have your um you have your president you know uh four-year term so you never know what you know because because who's in office is a gauge of of who's in the um you know of what's going on in the country i should say so um, it, it definitely makes sense that you would appoint people who are of influence, but outside of that realm, you know, and, and not cross over. All right, so coming so back, back to, to your, your viewpoint of the short term and long term future of the United States of America. So the short term and ever since the whistleblower testimony that happened over the summer, David Grush, um, I believe, you know, in the UFO Disclosure Act that had passed in the spending bill that just passed about uh, maybe three weeks ago or so, um, which was almost gutted, but that's neither here nor there. You know, disclosure is becoming more and more prevalent and why it's becoming more and more prevalent. and, And people such as government officials are more and more able to talk about it is because, in my opinion, the companies that pay for this tech, the companies that are involved outside of the government um, they need they need resources. And with this whole don't ask, you know, you can't talk about it, not monetary resources, but intelligence resources. You know, they need students to replenish their old, you know, engineers. You know what I mean? They need. And so now with a population crisis here, not a crisis, but with a population here who gets out there, we're not really doing the disclosure anymore. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't tell you what you're going to work on, but you're going to work on something cool nobody's, you know, it's not, it's not going to fly anymore here. So I believe, you know, in order to get the best and brightest from the top schools, Lockheed Martin, um, companies, you know, um, Halliburton companies like that, that are actively, and, and, you know, if you believe the congressional testimony under oath, those are the companies that are bidding for this tech that from these, you know, retrieved aircraft, they need people to study it. And they're not getting the best and brightest anymore. So when you have 
the government who's willing to disclose more because they're, you know, they're going to benefit them. Whatever Lockheed has is going to benefit the government. They sell to them. They're a contractor, right? So I believe the government is going to allow for more disclosure and test the waters uh, slowly at first. You know, they're not going to dump everything. I don't want to put that out there, but they're going to let things go out more and more over the next few years to allow people to honestly, in maybe 10 or 15 years, forget that there was even cover-ups and work towards, you know, spinning it to programs that would benefit you in your daily life, such as, um, you know, more AI, more more fiber optic. (laughs) Exactly. So I believe that the government, one of the biggest things to answer your question fully, one of the biggest things that they have is they know how to spin this stuff. So when they got you looking at UFOs over here, you know what I mean? Well, hey, look at this shiny thing over here. They're working over here. That's one of the best things that they do. They do it almost flawless. Misdirection, it's called. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when they are ultimately trying to circumvent, you know, us people, you know what I mean, from revolting against them and having a comfort of lifestyle, they, I believe that they're going to get you to look at UFO tech while they reverse engineer on the back end and bring you things to your life to make it easier for you and to move the move the criteria to who do we want to vote for us to people like like us honestly younger generations that you know we can have we're, we're giving away all of our autonomy to appease the government on one aspect <laughs> so it's, wait it, what you're saying is that ease of lifestyle is a form of controlling masses mhm Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at, so let me take a a really rough example. Let me talk about like your DoorDash or your, you know, your, your, your food delivery service, right? That is almost a 60% markup. If you want, if you were trying to grow that and I came into you and your, your two banking individuals and said, Hey, people are going to pay 60%. So they don't have to get off their couch. You're going to tell me that's nuts. But when you put it in the hands of a cell phone, when you give some BS rewards that you might get $2 off next time, when you get to the point where and advertise it and show that, hey, I don't have to move, you're keeping people at home. You know what I mean? You're, you're keeping people at home because people are comfortable being at home. And, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm not causing anything, trying to be any kind of conspiracy oh, with, the pan- <laughs> with, with the pandemic, but people are home. You know what I mean? They've been home. They've been working. So now you're making it even easier. So now prices are going up on other things. So now people have to work more. And what are we, a capitalist society? The whole idea of the side hustle, you know, was probably perpetrated by the government to get people working more. (laughs) Which is the depth of this conversation. It goes so deep. It covers so many things. (laughs) The question Greg asked was about the viability, i.e. the survivability of American democracy and the short term and long term aspect of that. And I haven't heard you address that like yay or nay, or I don't know. So I'm just going to bring that back. And then I have a follow up. What, what do you think of the viability of our system of democracy in light of these things? I believe that we would be moving towards or away. I'm sorry. We would be moving away from democracy with, the getting more information out 
to the public. And you might not think that at first you would think information, you know, FOIA and things like that, they're going to, they're great. People need to have more information, but the information you give out to them is so in depth, just like this conversation that people aren't going to have the capacity or the time to read everything. However, they have the ability to say, Hey, we gave you everything. It's not our fault. You didn't read it. You know what I mean? We, we gave you everything there. So I believe that in terms of the American democracy, I, I believe we would be moving um, away from it and where we have, you know, trusted individuals, representatives that are going to, you know, vote for you, vote on your behalf, types of things like that. I think it's going to divide each individual person to a degree where your local rep, you know, taking it all the way down to the base level, your local representative for your township or whatever is going to have so many different, so many different um, answers to everyone. And how do you stop it, it? How do you stop them guarding against, all right, well, who's, who's paying me more? You know what I mean? Who, who's paying me more, whether it's monetarily attention benefits, whatever it is, you know, how do you stop that? The way to stop that is having something completely neutral baseline, a robot having something. All right. This is what they say. This is what they say. It's based off you. This is what I went with. Um, and, and then that leads into a very dangerous society where, where your representatives now become automated. And then once that works, you'll move to your doctors. You'll move and to for a non-visual audience. He should, he said air quotes when he said works just so yes. You know. Oh, sorry. Air quotes. Yes. So, you know, ro- robots or, you know, AI or, or beings that are going to take polling into consideration, you know, thing, things of that nature, which could be easily um, fabricated, skewed, moved into an area where, you know, somebody who has the, has the degree, has the resources to um, change votes, you know, I think that's where it would lead into. My gut reaction to that is there's too much money involved in that, the money, the capitalism will prevent that because if there's automation in charge of decision making, then no one's being paid for that expertise. And the people in these seats of power want that paycheck. So they're never going to hand it over. Those, those people will be building the algorithms that make the decisions. And then therefore those decisions will all come out in their favor. Greg. Well, I mean, how scary is this also that, um, they could even go into a subscription-based model where you can vote for free. And then at one ninety nine, you get five votes, <laughs> which builds comp- uh, capitalism into it. <laughs> brought to you by Coca-Cola. Your democratic voting is brought to you yeah. by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you have Philadelphia sponsored by Pepsi. You oh, know, <laughs> Brilliant. That is a brilliant dystopian story there. All right. So, Tom, here's here's my secondary aspect. It's kind of a little bit adjacent to this. Why is it that I can't watch the accidental truth? None of the streaming services currently make it available. It's all not available in your area. Huh? So there's uh, two ways to go. I have watched the accidental truth. Um, That was at MUFON Symposium in in August. Um, The creator uh, was there and, and they had a viewing there. I had no idea that it got taken off. Um, yeah, it's currently listed as available on Apple TV or Roku, but every time you click through, it says this isn't available in your area. So the, the Nevada has chosen not to show it. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, who, who bought the rights? Because honestly, the people that create those are, are people too. And if somebody said, give me the rights to that and they want to bury it and they pay them X amount of dollars, I don't know if I would even turn that away. You know what I mean? So there's two different ways that, or there, there's multiple different ways actually that you can take a look at this. Either they didn't pay their licensing fee, so they're not on the broadcast. Uh, somebody bought it from them. Or there is a um, a blackballing of the video for whatever reason due to either the individual who made it, the production company, or the content. So if I were to Have choose between... It? What do you think of the content? Do you think there's something in there that is um, a game changer, a nuclear bomb in the consciousness of the American people? What, what You saw it. What's in there? I... I... I really, you know, I don't think so. I thought it was rather, you know, a great film and all that. I'm not trying to say anything like that, but I, I don't think there was anything in there that would we don't be already that, know that I didn't already know. Uh, maybe some facts about different stories, you know what I mean, that I didn't know. But the, the nuclear bomb, if you're looking for that, go go watch the whistleblower testimony. I know it's boring, but go to C-SPAN, watch it, watch the replays of it. You will hear things and you will hear individuals who are under oath with receipts, as the kids say, of yeah. military officers who have yeah. no vested interest in, in not telling the truth. Yeah, I've, I've watched quite a bit of it. Oh, so good. I'm, I'm good. With you there. Um, there's a third phase of this. Is it OK if I move, keep moving? Yeah, absolutely. So there was some suggestion that the. German scientists that were smuggled into the U.S. by the Dulles family to help mm -hmm. us create NASA and the and the you know intercontinental ballistic missile system also understood anti gravitational saucer like travel and that that is actually being developed internally as part of a corporatized military, not the U.S. military. Oh, okay. Um, and that that the relationship between those scientists and the what would be called the Fourth Reich is real and currently operating. Do you think that there's a possibility that there's a human version of the UFOs and that it's possibly has a originated in the way I'm describing from corporate malfeasance and uh, yes. ideological malfeasance? I, I do believe that um, I'm never going to paint with a broad brush and say everything is UFOs, you know, a, a, you know, unidentified flying object by definition. That's what it is. But I do believe a portion of that does result in us, you know, technology that we've developed, we've created that, you know, people just saw before they were supposed to see it. So I do believe in that um, the anti, you know, there's a belief that, you know, uh, China just as a, um, a, a spaceship, you know what I mean? Now that they can fly up and down out of space and things like that, that they've been developing. And all of a sudden, after they tested theirs a, a week or so ago, now NASA says we have one too. And there's also a belief that in there that is bending of time and space or essentially the anti-gravity um, where we condense space and we expand it out the back. And basically, if you have like a hollowed out ball and you pull apart you know two strings that are through the middle of the ball it's going to go really fast in that direction that's as layman as it can get that's the way that 
people are describing new modern ways to get off of fuels and into this realm, which would be anti-gravitational. Um, I absolutely believe that this is possible. The corporatized um, uh, governments, essentially, because um, when you take a look at the naval footage of those, um, you know, Tic Tacs coming in and out of the water, there's no propulsion that's not going to give you that, th- you know, the, the, the resistance of water and air. You're not going to move through of them the same unless the resistance you're moving away from isn't coming at you horizontally. It's the vertical and getting out of um, gravitational pull. Then you'd be able to go up and down and not can, not have the wavelengths hitting you from the front. So I absolutely think that um, that this technology exists um, and, and we'd be able to, um, or we, some of this is seeing our own things because again, if you're trying to do something really secretively and you're trying to do this and, you know, the Navy caught these Tic Tacs over water and, and, you know, out in the ocean, there's not a lot of people out in the ocean. You know what I mean? They're not going to do this over a land, over a city, but if they do, it's going to be Montana's. It's going to be the South Dakota's, you know what I mean? It's going to be over there and, or over water. So I think, yeah, maybe they had just got caught. And obviously what we saw was only a micro fraction of the actual material that they have out there. So the extraterrestrial being makes a great cover story for what might actually be military industrialist innovation. Absolutely. It does because it, well, one, it's, it's interesting, right? The general public is going to take a look at it. They're going to see a weird looking creature with big eyes. That's like five foot and has a huge head, right? Oh, this looks weird. Oh, I wonder where they come from. But there's also, when you see those type of things, the general public is going to have a lot of hope. Hope that something can help us here. Something can make our lives easier. Ultimately, that's what I think it comes down to when you view that is, oh, there's something else that can guide us. You know what I mean? At least for me, I don't want to speak right. about everybody. Like a savior. Must, yes. You know. yeah. Yes. A savior where they can warn us against the things that we might do. You know what I mean? Uh, in the future, yeah. just like that. So it's wonderful to keep people's interest looking over here again, back to the look at my hand over here. And then it's actually this one on the other hand, you know what I mean? Where we can, you know, and the government putting out disclosure, the government putting out these stories, the government letting these Naval Navy actual mounted on Naval vessel cameras. So it's not like, you know, your ring camera, these are actually military cameras catching these things. I still, you know, I'm never going to say I'm a hundred percent on, on anything, but to me, that's still the biggest possibility to derail the entire argument. All right. So in these big eye theories and mm-hmm. realms of practice that you live in, mm-hmm. how do you hold your personal personal responsibility of self for yourself, your emotions, your habits? Okay. So, um, Yes, you know, we are talking about a lot of grandiose theories that affect people. But for me personally, I work with individuals with physical and mental disabilities. What um, It's a long-term skilled care facility. They live here from 18 to, I believe we have some in the 70s. Um, they live here. So I walk in every day with a slap in the face about how unfair life can be, right? You know, so that's, it's easy to, to, to ground yourself and get yourself, you know, back into your own mindset when you see things and you're helping individuals. 
helping, you know, altruism, things like that, give you a sense and, and destroy an ego. And that's where I want to live my life is. And, and that's why I love working here is because I can help solve problems for individuals who can't even, who have never said a word in their life. So me using my, you know, skills to stay here keeps me grounded in a way that, you know, I am here on earth. I do have, you know, a mortgage that I have to pay. You know, if, if I don't pay the electric, the lights are going off. You, I, to me, uh, I need that. And I think it's what's best for me. You know what I mean? As much as you want to, cha- you know, job chase and find the most pay and all that kind of stuff. I need it. I need to seriously look at who I am as a person, what drives me. And this allows me, you know, this job allows me to talk to both of you to, to have my own podcast, to do that. This almost needs to, to come first before any of that other stuff happens. Did you have any single experience in your life that set that mindset for you? Absolutely. So um, my my father passed not too long ago and, um, you know, very, very aggressive form of cancer, very, um, you know, February he got it, September I was burying it. So um, I, I really needed to um, be there for him. You know, the, the world shrunk. Basically, my, my views of everything shrunk. And what's in front of you is taking him to chemo. This was during COVID, by the way. So to keep taking him to chemo, taking him to appointments, me not allowing me not allowed to be in. I, I sat for hours in the parking garages underneath the city, um, you know, the, the city hospitals and things like that. So, you know, you have a lot of time to reflect. And, you know, we, we all you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been touched by it personally, but, um, you know, when I, I had to do my research on what type of cancer it was. I saw the outcome. I saw it probably isn't going to be good. I saw that it's very aggressive. And then you saw somebody who, you know, for your whole life turn into somebody you've never seen before in a matter of months. Hmm. So gauging that perspective and, and, and really, you know, needing to be put in my place by the world, by this, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the world, the universe, whatever, you know, you want to call it being put there to say, I need to help somebody else. It's just, I don't know if it flicked a switch for me or whatever you want to call it, but it made me focus on these things. And, and since that happened, my, my views on, on the world have, have changed a sort of way where it's not about how you, you know, what you have in your life. It's what you're living for. I like that. That's beautiful. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, that's the first ever time I told that on any podcast. I've had um, multiple, multiple interviews. But, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, what I appreciate about both of you is um, when I asked you to challenge me, you know, you definitely did in more than one, more than one way, you know, because I, a lot of times you don't know the answer when somebody asks you something until you just start speaking it and it comes out. And that's what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for trusting us to share that. That's no, funny. thank you for, for, you know, having a great podcast, a great venue and an opportunity for people to come on and, and, you know, join the outlaws. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, do we have time for um, another regular question before? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Do you, Mark, do you have time? Like yes. One moment? Okay. Um, have you had experience and interaction with ghosts? Um, yes, I have. So, uh, this story happened, you know, um, not too long ago, actually, it was maybe two and a half, three years ago, but, um, I was in 
I was taking a phone call and I needed a little bit of privacy. I was over a friend's house. I went into their basement and it was on the phone, um, doing my whatever. And, you know, hung up the phone call. It was all good in their basement was like a, it was a semi-finished basement. So not all the way, but you know, it had walls. So there was a little room in there, the drywall, you know, there was a little room that looked like it could have been a bedroom, you know, and in a rocking chair. And there was just somebody sitting and rocking in it. I didn't pay it any mind. You know what I mean? When, Went back upstairs, you know, I, I just, I figured it was their uncle or something, you know, it was at the family house. So I, I figured somebody that could have lived there, I don't know. Went back upstairs and, um, you know, after a little bit, I was like, I was like, who do you have, you know, who's the gentleman living in the basement? They said, we don't have anybody living in the basement. I said, you had somebody down there? Yeah, come here. And I go down, I show them right where it was. And that rocking chair, you know, there was nobody in it. And was it there moving? Was, it was moving when I saw it. It wasn't moving when I came back down. But when, I, when I was there and came back down, it is a solid rocking chair. There wasn't like bags or something that could be in there that I could have, you know, before my eye glanced at, it was empty, not even a blanket on the back of it. And I was like, there was somebody right here rocking back and forth. He had, you know, he had like a reddish beard, you know, stubble more than a beard, a little fatter. And, 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 you know, he had like reddish brown hair and a bald spot up here. And his mother, my friend's mother, chimed up um, and said, oh, you know, that you saw Uncle Ricky. And I said, who's Uncle Ricky? And they said he, he used to live down in the basement. He passed away um, like earlier that year. Wow. And, and apparently I had described who, who that person was. Um, and they opened up a, a family book. And I just had a brief picture of it. I was like, yeah, that's the guy. And I saw it and, and he was, um, I believe he had a stroke or something and he came to live in the parents' basement before, you know, for, for, I guess the hospice portion, but before he passed. Wow. So that, right. that's my latest one. Really cool. All right. Damn. <laughs> so before we ask our final question, I'd love to just have you tell us a little bit about labeled paranormal and how people can get in contact with you if they want to have more conversations. Absolutely. Well, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, labeled paranormal is a podcast dedicated to anything that has the label of paranormal. So um, just in that definition, you know, we go, we not only go into UFOs, ghosts, and things like that, but we talk about like regression therapy, past life experiences, you know, um, Atlantis, you know, things that anything that could have the label of paranormal, me and my co-host Mark Way, we take a topic each week. We, we talk about what we think about it. We give supporting evidence of it. And, you know, we just, you know, have, we just have fun talking to, you know, uh, people or about a topic, you know, that we have on about um, anything, you know, it's, it's almost like a paranormal uh, safe space because a lot of people, you know, they don't want to be labeled like, Hey, I'm crazy. You know what I mean? And things <laughs> like that. So I, not only with that, but we have a meetup group UFOs over PA who um, it's another safe space. People can, I love tuning in here. I love coming on because, I can say all the crazy stuff that I saw and people aren't looking at me, you know, weird and, and things like that. So just giving an outlet to people who uh, might want to get stuff off their chest. And if you want to get a hold of me, you know, we're on Spotify. Um, you can say into your smart speaker, play label paranormal podcast. Uh, we have a Facebook page at labeled paranormal Our YouTube page probably has the most traffic and that's at labeled paranormal as well. Um, and then labeled paranormal at gmail.com for, you know, send in a story. If you want to get in contact with us, we'd love to reach out and have a listener submission show. You know, that would be wonderful too. Awesome. 
So are you aware of the question we ask all our guests? You said you watched a couple past uh, episodes. I've, I haven't listened all the way to the end, no. So what is it? Got it. Great. So this is going to be a question you don't have access to until right this is now. This the most important question. All right. Eminem or Foo Fighters? Oh, man. I see I love both of them, but I have to say I got to go Foo Fighters. Oh, all right. You want to elaborate on that at all? I, well, if I love both of them, I mean, it's not to say, you know, one is bad and one is good, but the Foo Fighters killed it in uh, 2014 at Firefly in, in Delaware. And I saw them headline it out in the woods. We're in the middle of the woods, campground setting, and they absolutely killed it. And it was a wonderful, wonderful show. Um, so just for the fact that I've seen them live, I'm going to give them the edge. All right. All right. Well, so now I have to ask the follow-up question. Have you seen Hotel 666, Studio 666? No, no. I've seen previews for it, but I have not. Have, have you seen it? to see that movie. I'm going to do it tonight, then. I'll do it tonight. Yeah. I, 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 I honestly forgot about it until you mentioned it. That, oh, yeah, they did put out that movie. It might be right up my alley. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Do you like sort of the slash and gore thrillers? Um, not so much, but what I like is I, I'm an old school eighties monster movie, nineties um, monster movie that tremors that that's mine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I could describe myself, actually, you know, a podcast coming up, um, I'm going to be reviewing that movie and talking about it. Right. So let's, let's kick it back, you know, 30 some years ago. <laughs> yeah. I saw Godzilla minus one. I highly recommend it. Okay. All right. Yeah, uh, any and all monster, equal opportunity monster movie here. <laughs> all right, well, Tom, thank you so much for your forthrightness, yeah. your you know your coherence, the way you presented oh, well, everything. You. Really felt like measured and reasonable, and like we were, you know like, uh, but at the same time, open and willing to explore the edges of our perceived nature of yeah. the reality that we live in. It was really fun. Um, and I'll look forward to more from labeled paranormal in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you both. And it's been a wonderful time. I enjoy it. Thank you so much. Recording stopped.